Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about uh, Psalm 139. It never used to be one of my favorite psalms, but it is now. And just before we start, I'd like everybody to just take a quiet moment and close your eyes. Imagine that God is thinking about you. What do you think God feels when he's thinking about you? Okay, you can open your eyes now. Does anybody have anything they want to add? That they felt that God might feel about them when they think? Sadly, it could be disappointment. It could be disdain. It could be anger. It could be just that he's given up and he doesn't really think about you at all. And sometimes we can think his thoughts about us are all focused on the wrong things. We think, or we say, or we do, all the negatives in our life. Things that we need to change. There are reasons some of us can filter God's word that way. Some of it's connected maybe to the way we were parented, if we were parented with a lot of criticism. Some of it's just connected to our personality. We're just the types that always see clouds and not the silver lining. But for whatever reason, we can often filter God's word and what it's actually saying to us. I know that as a young believer, I filtered this psalm. And Psalm Psalm 139 is about God's ever-presence with us, his thoughts about us, his knowing everything about us. And in some way in my mind, I thought, wow, that's like somebody watching you all the time, looking for all the dirt, you know. And I thought, I have to be careful. God is with me. I need to be careful. He knows what I'm thinking. And it was this kind of fear thing. And I guess there's always a tension through Scripture between the fear of God and the love of God, the judgment of God, and his great and profound mercy. But what we want to do is take some of those filters off, lift those filters off your eyes, and we're going to have a look at Psalm 139 and the real message that's in it. It's a psalm that speaks about God knowing everything about us, being present in every nook and cranny. As we look through the psalm today, I hope we hear the wonderful message of comfort that this can bring. Okay, the psalm was written by David. At least it's attributed to him. And I guess I can sometimes imagine him sitting under a shade tree, maybe watching his sheep out on the pasture, and just meditating. I think this is a highly meditative psalm, a psalm where he took an idea and he started to think about it and meditate on it and turn it over in his mind. It weaves back and forth between you and me. And that's kind of a unifying theme throughout. You hear the you and you hear the me. And it's a poem in four movements. The first movement, verse 1 to 6, is, You know everything about me. I can't comprehend that. It's too great a thing for me. I'll try and get away. But you're still there, 
and I can't get away. You created me and think about me in every detail. I'm overwhelmed by this. The me and the you, back and forth throughout the psalm. My response to the hate and evil and my invitation for you to direct me. Okay, let's go through it section by section. And I'm going to get you to read it. And I think what I'll do is get you to read it in sections. So this middle section is the you. It's about what God is doing. And these outside sections are, are going to be the red part as we go through the scripture. And you'll read that. That's about me and my response. Okay? Think we can do it? All right. Black is for you guys in the center. Red is for you guys. This is following the you, me, weaving of this psalm. Okay. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar in all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Okay, so verses 1 to 6, all about God being present with us in everything. So if you kind of look at some of the words that are used, um, I mean, you can think about this in theological terms about God's omniscience. I mean, if you look up in theology books, it'll use this psalm as a great psalm on God's omniscience. But it is not about a concept about God. This is about a relationship. This is a completely intimate psalm about God's relationship to us. It's not just a theological concept. It's a real, practical, impractical in terms of their life. He knows everything about us. He uses several words to describe it. Uh, One, he searches, he knows, he discerns, he perceives, he's familiar with all our ways. He also uses various poetic devices. Now, here in our typical poems, we have rhymes or rhythms or stanzas. In Hebrew poetry, there's lots of different things. There's parallelisms, merisms, there's, um, there's rhythm. Rhythm was really important in Hebrew poetry, I suppose because they sang and danced to it. I could have got you to get up and dance to this psalm, but we, we aren't going to do that today. But he uses a bunch of devices, and one of those is a merism, which is like to show something from all different kind of angles to accentuate what it means. He sees me. He knows when I sit, when I rise. When I, he perceives my thoughts from afar. He knows when I'm going down, and he's familiar with all my ways, and it just goes, goes on and on, just from all kinds of different angles to accentuate how very detailed God is in his knowledge of us. Before, even before a word is on our tongue, he knows it. And I want to say, too, that this absolute knowledge of his isn't just this distant, cold thing. Because if you look at verse 6, it says, he gets really involved. It says, he hems me in from behind and before. And then add to that, he lays his hand on me. Now, how does that feel? 
The word for hemming in is the same one that's used for besiege or surround. They used to surround ancient cities. Uh, Armies would do that. It's the same word. And the idea is that he surrounds us, and not only that, he lays his hand on us. Now here again is this tension. What does that mean? If somebody said they laid their hand on me, I'm not sure what that would mean. That could mean lots of negative things, but it also mean comfort. It can mean both. And that's the tension you see also in this psalm. God's direction, God's nurturing care, God's um, involvement in our life. He lays his hand on us. And then the next part is the response. This kind of knowledge, how God knows all this, it's too wonderful. And the word is wonderful, extraordinary, incomprehensible to me. Too much for me to grasp. I don't know about you, but sometimes if we have a bonfire, if we're outside, and I look up at the stars, and I see the vastness of the universe, it kind of does something, almost like a short circuit in my brain. Like, how could God, who created this, care about me? It's way beyond what I can grasp. It's way beyond it. And sometimes that makes us disbelieve it a little bit. Well, maybe that's not true at all. David wasn't disbelieving it. He was just overwhelmed by it. It was incomprehensible. It was something he couldn't grasp, that God would know so much about him. Let's look at the next verses, and we'll follow the same thing. You guys in the middle, you're the you and the me. Okay? I'm kind of reminded, I don't know if any of you watched Star Trek. <laughs> Remember the Borg saying, resistance is futile. <laughs> it kind of feels like that to me. But uh, there seems to be an attempt to flee, and that may just be a literary device. I don't know. Uh, but it highlights the fact that God is everywhere, that there's at least a possibility um, that of trying of someone wanting to flee and try and get away. Maybe like Adam and Eve, they hid from God's presence, or like Jonah, who ran away when he had a task he didn't want to do, thinking that they could run from God's presence, but it was impossible. And that's the point. He is everywhere. And so there is this tension between running and hiding and opening yourself up to no resistance. I love the phrase that it talks about how great God's presence is. It talks about it first vertically, from the heavens to the depths, and the depths being shoal, or the place of the dead. The, or, if I rise on the wings of the morning, what beautiful poetry that is. And it means going from east all the way to west. So, from the heights to the depths, from the east to the west, no matter where I go. He's there with me. 
And then again, notice this isn't just an impersonal presence. Notice his touch. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It isn't just an uninvolved presence. It's not just, he's not just with us on the sidelines. Whether we perceive him or not, he holds us and he guides us. He's everywhere, in the darkness, in the light, everywhere. Let's read verses 13 to 18 as well. Okay, these verses actually accentuate and make even further the statement that God knows me and he's with me. He was present, and all, all of the uh, verbs here and different things that are said in this passage are about the embryonic stage of your development. Way back when you were being formed in the womb, God was present and he knew not only did he know and help form you, he, was, he, he knew about all the days of your life before they even began. An immense knowledge of us that starts from our conception to our death and we'll even see to our resurrection. He has been with us, if you can think about uh, a long friend, he's more than that. I think about sometimes how I miss some of the friends that I have history with. I mean, you guys know me. I love you guys. That's not a problem. But you, you, you haven't seen all the areas of my life or the different sections of it. You know this little bit. Friends with history, people that know so much about us, we miss them. And God is more than a friend with history. He created us. He knows our whole path and even before it started he knew what, what was appointed for us. And uh, notice also God's hands in this. I, I got kind of fascinated by this, of how God was so intimately involved. He knitted, he weaved, he did this in the womb. He was involved in our life. And David's response of praise. This was such an eye-opener for me when I read this verse, because it says, how precious are your thoughts, O God, were I to count them, they're, they're as vast as the number of uh, grains of sand. When you look in the original, it actually means, how precious are your thoughts concerning me? How precious is it, all these vast thoughts you have about me? And he was awestruck that God had him in his mind. 
vast number of thoughts like the grains of sand. Beautiful verse, a beautiful response. It was precious to David. It wasn't scary. It was precious. It was, wow, you care about me. Okay. The detail and the care. Jesus even said, every hair in your head is numbered. He goes on to say, when I awake, I'm still with you. Now, I don't know if Jesus, if David is out there under the tree meditating and he kind of dozes off and wakes up and goes, oh, okay, you're still here. <laughs> or if this is a reference, and I think this is probably true, a reference to an awakening, a resurrection, a life after death. God never leaves us in this life or in the life to come. So um, it does seem, even death doesn't separate it from his knowledge. Okay, regardless of what that all means, uh, the next few verses take a dramatic change. It's almost as if he's awakened now from this meditation and he moves into real life issues. And uh, the next few verses we're going to read and uh, we'll talk about them a bit. I'll just read him. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Now, these are the kind of verses in Psalms that we skim over and try and go to the good part. Uh, Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Do you skim over that? I was looking at some songs that might, you know, use scripture as a song, and all of them skipped this verse. <laughs> Every one of them, without exception. And uh, no, not that one yet, so, yeah. Um, this is um, what's called part of an imprecatory psalm, or, and there's a lot of psalms like that that call down vengeance for God or that uh, sometimes curse their enemies. This is not something that we as Christians, followers of Jesus, often think about. Because Jesus told us to love our enemies, to bless those that curse us, to do good to those that um, mistreat us. And that's kind of the mentality we're in now. This just sounds wrong, right? But it's, it's not really wrong. What it does show, I mean, Dave, this is the warrior king responding. This is David, the king of Israel, God's representative, who's standing up. This is the David who stood up to Goliath and said, who is this that calls out against God? And all of a sudden, it seems like David's desire for, um, uh, what is it, Um, vindicating God or holiness becomes so much more profound. The desire for judgment of those things that are against God. So all of this meditation on his presence, his care, it brought about in David a desire for holiness. And um, that is what it should do in us. As I said, there's this tension between fearing God, between knowing his judgment and knowing his love. It's always a tension. And we need to walk that tension line. The closer we are to God, in our relationship with him, in our understanding of him, 
we'll get both parts. We will have a dislike, a hatred, an abhorrence to sinful things and wrong things that go against God's nature. But we will also understand in a deep way his love and mercy and want to see people come to know that. So both of those things, intention, but both of them, when we come to know God, become very uh, deeply ingrained in our heart and spirit. So that's an attempt to help you understand some of the things in imprecatory parts of the psalm. Here, all this meditation invited David to really go against sin. And then the next part, it invited him to something else. Let's take a look at the next verses, and I'll read them. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now leave that slide up. Let me read you the first verse, and I want you to tell me what's the difference between them. First verse of the psalm says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. How does this verse differ? Ah, he's asking. It's an invitation. It's not just pure knowledge that God has searched me and known me. This is like, do it. I open up my heart to you. And this is a, the final response to this psalm is one of complete surrender. Um, It's a natural response of those who truly grapple with and believe the truths that we have just looked at. The one who knows us intimately is always with intimately is always with us. The one who thinks about us and shows his care in all the minute details of our lives. The one who surrounds us, who holds us, who knits us together, who sees us from the beginning and the end of our lives. The one who not only knows but involves himself with us. The right response is to invite him to surrender to his care. Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. The truth is, he already knows what's in there. It's us that have a problem knowing what's there. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can be anxious about something but not really sure why. Or... The other part of the picture is, in Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins. Our heart is kind of like skewed. Like, I can think of a thousand reasons to blame someone else or to soft-pedal what I've done or to uh, make a rationalization around it, or to sugarcoat it, or, or even to think worse about something than I need to, or to exaggerate it, or to see myself as a total loser. There's all kinds of things in my thoughts that are untrustworthy. Our thoughts are untrustworthy. And examining our heart... Now, you know I'm a counselor, so we, we go through these things where we have to kind of look at things, you know. And... Uh, But really, and introspection is an important thing. In fact, in Scripture, it talks about it. It says uh, that the heart is such an important thing that above all, we're to guard our hearts for everything we do flows from it in Proverbs 
4.23. So it is an important thing, but introspection is never done without extrospection, I'll call it. That is God's input. We cannot examine ourselves honestly without asking God to search us, without asking God to help us understand. And when we can do that in a surrendered way, in a way where we put our own thoughts sort of on the altar, this is how I think about it. I'm going to just set this aside. Lord, speak deep to my heart. What do you think? And it is amazing sometimes the new thoughts you begin to get, the new openness you begin to have to see it from his perspective. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So there's a searching and there's a trying. The trying is a testing. It's like purifying gold where you heat it up and the impurities rise to the top and those are skimmed off. And that's kind of what it is. It's a searching, it's a trying to know our hearts, our thoughts. Um, and then he goes on to say, and see if there is any offensive way in me. Now, the word for offense is a, is a mixture. It's actually idle. See if there's an idle or something grievous in me. It's those two things. It's the only time the word is used. And uh, so this can be things that I either hold as habits, as uh, uh, maybe a bitterness against someone, angry outbursts, things I hold on to and the ways that I live that grieve the Holy Spirit. We're asking God to search that and open up to it. And then it says, lead me in the way everlasting. So you're not only going to show me this, you're going to show me how to live differently. You're going to show me a way that leads to eternity, that leads through eternity and right into our life after death. It is the true and right path, and he shows us. So, what should our response be to this psalm? David voices praise and wonder concerning God's intimate knowledge of him. There may have been a hint of resisting in the portion that considered where can I flee from his presence, but overall, the psalm conveys a deep comfort and wonder, an intimacy and awe, Instead of fighting, David surrenders to it. I want to talk a little bit about the word surrender. Nobody likes that word. It's got a bad rap because you can just imagine waving a white flag, surrendering to a superior force, which now you become a prisoner in their camps. But it means surrendering to a force more powerful than you and living as a prisoner. But surrender is absolutely the right response when it comes to spiritual life. There's another word called obedience. Now, the difference between surrender and obedience is kind of this. Obedience is what I'm doing by my will to follow God's way. Surrender is giving my will to God and being ready to do what he wants. That's a big difference in the spiritual life. For me, it's actually a great relief. When I think about, uh, you know my husband Peter back there, and me. We're both very different. He is this guy that is super disciplined. If he says he's going to do something, he will do it to the nth degree, no matter how much difficulty is or how long it takes. Me, I lose interest pretty quickly 
and it's hard for me to get involved, to, to really make myself stick to some sort of plan is almost impossible. So when, it, when I think about I have to engage my will to really follow God, it's almost, I almost feel shame, like I know I'm not going to do it. I know that I'm going to fail at this. But surrender is different. I can do that. I can do that. If God speaks to me and I can say, okay, all I have to do is let go. Now, that sounds like an all I have to do. It's not that easy because a lot of things we hold on to with an iron grip. But all I have to do is let go. I have to let go and allow God to show me a new path. That's the response. Why don't I do this? I thought about this for me. Why don't I do it? Because it's right there. It's easy. I've got a God who cares for me, that, who loves me, who thinks about me, who is everywhere. Sometimes I'm just too busy. Is that the way it is with you? That I live a life so independent, doing my own thing, that I forget. I forget to be mindful that God is mindful of me, that God is with me. Sometimes I'm too enmeshed in my idols, habitual practices which are contrary, maybe, to holiness, offensive and grievous to God. But we don't want to let them go. Sometimes we're hiding, fleeing from him because we feel unworthy. We feel perhaps he doesn't really want to know or want to be with us. Or we simply forget we do not have a clear enough picture of God's love and care for us with a whole universe to care for. Why would he care for me? We forget about his presence and knowledge and his thoughts about us. Is it any wonder then that Paul, in his beautiful prayer to the Ephesians, prayed that we would be firmly rooted in and grasp a deeper way, in a deeper way, the height, the width, and the breadth of his love for us? In a small book by David Benner entitled Surrender to His Love, he talks about how surrender really needs to be in the context of love. When we understand God's great love and profound care for us, we can make that surrender. And that's why Paul underlined that, knowing the depth, the width, the height, and breadth of his love for us is a crucial part of our spiritual journey that opens us up to a new vista of surrender and commitment to, to God. Well, how do we do this? I thought I would leave you with a few ideas of how perhaps uh, we can follow through uh, with doing something practically. And um, one thing is just simple exposure to Scripture I'll read from Hebrews 12, Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. The word of God, when we're exposed to it, is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account to. Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he does not sin. Let us approach God, his throne, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. This verse talks about the penetrating power of God's word in our life, of pointing out the things in our heart that need to be addressed. And then it also talks about approaching. Don't be afraid. Because of Jesus, we can approach God. He was also tempted in many ways like us. We can approach him, approach God's throne, to find the grace we need to make that surrender. Another way we can do this, so, is just, I don't know if you've memorized this portion of scripture, but it's a great one, and we can just pray that prayer and wait quietly and see if God has anything that he wants to reveal to us. Using that prayer, it's a simple way. This doesn't have to be a long, intensive thing where you spend like a day, oh God, search me, know me, and we dig deep and all that. It doesn't have to be that. It can be a moment-by-moment thing, a simple thing every day that you do, uh, an openness, at least, to hear God's voice for you. And then I really like an, uh, one practice that I read about, again, in David Benner's uh, uh, book. And it was just, and it happened, it's at night. When you lay down at night before you go to sleep, just ask God to just go through your day and think, oh, that was a bit unusual. I don't know why I did that. And ask God, why did I do that, God? What's that about? Just a simple thing, a simple reflection on your day and bringing that before God and asking him to open that up for you to understand it. God has surrounded us. He's with us all the time. He created us. He has thoughts about us that number greater than the number of granules of the sand. He's counted the very hairs of our head. How precious is that? May the Lord help us surrender to him and his care and walk on the true path he shows us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is a beautiful message to us of your love and great care, of your presence. I pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart and that we would surrender ourselves in fullness to your examining eye and to your guiding hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.